You know, one of the things that attracted me to Jesus in high school was that I met a Christian who had joy even in the midst of sorrow. Yeah, her, her parents were out of work. She had very little. Her brother was in trouble with the law. She herself had a lot of medical issues. And yet every time I was around her, she had this joy, this strength, this sense of peace and contentment. And I didn't get it. And I was over here in my little comfortable life, had my Atari 2600, my members only jacket. You know, I was doing great. I was, you know, playing sports, working in school. I, I should have been happier than her. But here's what I noticed. If we won the football game, I was happy. But if we lost the game, I was devastated. I was sorrow filled. If my dad had a good year in business, uh, we could go on a big vacation, a big trip. Well, then I was happy. But if not, sorrow, disappointment. If I made the dean's list, I was happy. But if not, sorrow. Now, don't get me wrong. Hey, I loved high school. It was the best six years of my life, okay? <laughs> Camera guy got it, okay? Hey, listen, <laughs> it's just that I didn't have what that girl had. When, when sorrow happened to me, I just didn't have a way to overcome it. And what I realize now is that she had a joy that was based on her relationship with Jesus. In me, I had a happiness or sorrow that was based on my circumstances. It went up and down based on what was going on around me. Now, the Bible, the Bible doesn't really talk much about happiness, but it says a ton about joy. You know, the words happy and happiness are used 27 times in the Bible, which is like meh, right? That's not very many, but the words joy and rejoice are used 320 times. So in this teaching series, I want to invite us to take a look at the book of Philippians, where joy is mentioned 15 times. It's really one of the major themes of the entire book. In fact, Philippians has one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. It's Philippians 4.4, which is rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. I mean, you talk about relentless positivity, Willow. It's a choice to rejoice. And I realize that was the difference with that girl. That girl in high school, she'd made an intentional choice to overcome the sorrows in her life with a joy, not based on circumstances, but on her relationship with Jesus. How, how can we do that? How do we see Jesus overcome sorrow in our lives? How, how, do, we, how do we choose joy? Well, if you have your Bibles, uh, I'm gonna be in Philippians 1. Um, interesting as you're turning there, uh, Paul writes this letter from prison, uncomfortable circumstances, uncertain future. Uh, prison in those days was a, a likely death sentence. And yet, watch how Paul chooses joy. I'm going to be in verse 3. It says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. He's writing basically a thank you letter to the church in, Philipp in Philippi who had taken up a collection for him so that he could have food in prison. The prisons back then didn't provide food. You had to have somebody from the outside or you had to have enough resources yourself to buy food. 
And Jesus had taught these Christians, if someone's hungry, you feed them. If they're in prison, then you visit them. And these Christians were looking at a brother in prison and supporting him uh, the way that they could. And he was grateful. And so Philippians is really a thank you letter to this church. So he says, I, I thank my God and all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all. Paul chooses prayer. Now, the Greek word here connotes a kind of prayer of worship. It's a, it's a worshiping of God. We choose worship even in hard times. We choose to worship God for who he is and what he's done, and we remember that he is in control. Now, sometimes, if I can get out of the city or out of the suburbs and get out into nature, man, when you look at the mountains and the animals and the rivers, and, and I just think to myself, man, God's big enough to have all of this under his control. It kind of right-sizes my problems. I think to myself, if God can handle all this, then he can handle my issues as well. God is in control. I was in a car a couple of years ago, and uh, well, I, <laughs> I don't know how to say this. Uh, behind us, uh, red and blue lights come on, and uh, we pull over, and sure enough, officer gets out, asks for license and registration. Uh, he asks, do you realize that you were speeding? He heads back to write a ticket, you know? Um, do you know that feeling you get in that moment? Would you describe that feeling as joy and peace? Well, listen, I wasn't worried at all, no sorrow at all, because my mother-in-law was driving the car, okay? <laughs> I, and I love her, but hey, you know, bummer for you, all right? Give God the keys, and then you won't have to worry. If he's the one that's in control, then you don't have to worry about trying to handle everything in your life. God is in control. And guys, God didn't look at 2020 and say, wow, I didn't see that coming. You know, how am I gonna handle all of this? Nothing catches God by surprise. This, this pandemic, COVID-19, racial tension, rioting in the streets, guess what? God's still on the throne. And he's not on the throne leaning forward, wringing his hands, sweating, trying to figure out, how am I gonna fix all this mess? That's not how he's on the throne. You wanna know how he's on the throne? God's sitting back on the throne. He's taking it easy. He knows what he's gonna do. He knows how he's gonna bring good out of this mess for those that love him. He's not even stressed. So choose prayer. Take it to God. Worship, even in the midst of sorrow. And, and do it with thanksgiving, Paul says. Uh, you you want to have even, uh, or you want to have joy even in the midst of sorrow. Develop a discipline of gratitude. One of the things I started doing years ago uh, was writing down five things every day that I'm grateful for. I actually use a, a, a like an online journal. I'll give it to you. It's penzu, P-E-N-Z-U.com. And you go in there, it's totally free. And I just write down my thoughts every day. I read the Bible, write down my thoughts, and I always list five things. And it helps me 
get my mind off my circumstances and back on Jesus. Five things that I'm thankful for. Five ways that I'm seeing God move in my life, even in the midst of hard times. And watch this. I've been doing it for years now, and Penzu actually sends me emails periodically. Every few weeks, I'll get an email that literally says, hey, uh, it, it'll say, do you wanna see what you wrote three years ago, five years ago? And I can look back and I can see literally miracles that happened in my life. And I can remember all the ways that God has been good and faithful. And it reminds me that he is in control. And you say, well, I haven't been doing that. I don't, I don't have stories uh, in my life. Here's another thing. Get in a small group. If you don't have the stories, if God, if you don't, uh, you don't have those stories of faithfulness in your life, then get around some people and let's encourage each other with our stories. I was on a call last night preparing for a panel discussion that we're gonna do in a few weeks on racial reconciliation and the church. And one of the men telling his story of growing up on the south side of Chicago and how God basically saved his life. It wasn't my story, but I came away inspired and encouraged, and I had more joy coming out of that call. So listen, choose prayer. Second thing I see Paul choose is God is uh, Paul chooses God's promises. See, God has made a lot of promises to you and I, 5,467 to be precise. He's got you. And when life isn't going right and you aren't feeling happy, you realize your foundation isn't your circumstances or what happens to you. No, your life is built on God's promises. Here's how Paul puts it in verse six. He says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Hey, quick theology lesson here, okay? Now hang with me on this. Let's do a little theology. When we say yes to Jesus, when you become a Christian, two things happen. You are justified and then you begin to be sanctified. Two theological terms, justified, sanctified. What do they mean? Justified, that's, that's you getting saved. That's your sins are forgiven. You are right with God. I always remember it this way. It is just as if I'd never sinned. And it happens in an instant. It's an event. But sanctified, that's a process. It's a process of refining your character. Uh, developing your mind, changing behavior, so that over time you become more like Jesus, growing in your faith. Because even if you've been walking with God for a while, you were you know, justified years ago, you know you still have things to work on. Don't believe me, you know, ask your spouse, okay? You do, you have things to work on. Justified is that you are counted as sinless, Sanctified is that you are working on sinning less. Does that make sense? It's, it's like, you know, how many of you own a house? And then how many of you, those same people, are, are in the process of 
paying to own that house each month. Uh, you, you, you both own the house and you're working out that ownership over time. So I say all that, what does sanctification and justification have to do with joy? Okay, so think about it. Sanctification, the more steps I take to be like Jesus, the more freedom and joy I experience. So if my sin is gluttony, well, you take next steps in that area, and the next thing you know, you have more freedom to exercise and to, to play sports and to, to feel better. There's just more joy in your life. Uh, if your sin is materialism, that's the thing you got to work on. That um, you know, you can be weighed down. It's tough to retire or send your kids to college because you have all this maybe mountain of debt weighing you down because you couldn't say no to that new thing or that new thing. So you start taking next steps in materialism and you start to discover contentment. You start paying off debt. And the next thing you know, you have some financial freedom, some financial peace, maybe even some joy. If you've ever met somebody in recovery, recovering from addiction, and they, they don't have that substance numbing their mind anymore or that substance destroying their body in their, anymore, they start to have more energy, they're, 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 they start to be more free in their life, their relationships start to heal. Guys, sanctification brings joy because it brings freedom. Okay, so that's sanctification. What about justification? What, what does that have to do with joy? With that, let me take you back to the 1984 Olympics in Los Angeles, okay? Now just hang with me here. For nine years of her life, Mary Lou Retton had worked toward this moment. She needed a 9.95 to earn a tie for the individual all-around gymnastics title. She needed a perfect 10 to win the title outright. And as half the world sat riveted to their television sets, a 16-year-old gymnast hurtled down the runway toward the vaulting horse, hitting the springboard, and she flips through the air, and she nails a perfect 10. And the 9,000 spectators leap to their feet and all the tens and hundreds of thousands of people watching the Olympics online are super excited. She had won. The judges would take the top score of her two vaults. And with that first vault, she'd won already. Now imagine what it felt like to walk back and to stand at the end of the runway for that second vault knowing that she'd already won. And I imagine she was pretty nervous for that first vault, but not the second one. She, she'd already won. They were gonna take the best of, of, of either score, so she'd already gotten a perfect 10. She couldn't do any better, so she'd already won. And guys, that's the way we can live as a justified follower of Jesus. It's just as if I'd never sinned, so I don't have to fear losing the prize. I don't have to worry about what other people think of me. I don't, we, we don't have to be afraid to fail because God has already deemed us winners, and it produces in, in, in us an, a freedom, a, a freedom, a security in our life, an inexpressible and glorious joy.
Guys, choose prayer. Choose God's promises that he who began this work in you is gonna carry it on to completion. And then third, choose perseverance. Choose perseverance. Look down at verse 18. It says, yes, I will continue, continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me, prison, persecution, hard things, it's gonna turn out for my deliverance. It's gonna turn out okay. You know, Paul persevered through tough times. And listen, we don't like tough times. We wanna be safe and comfortable, but God's attitude towards hard things, it's a little different. He tells us in the book of James, he says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. I love that verse. You know what, think back to a time in your life when you grew the most. Um, maybe your, your faith was expanded in a significant way. You felt like you were maturing a lot in your life. You just, you grew in your strength. Uh, whatever it was, let me ask you, how many of you would say that that time of growth was connected to a, a time of significant challenge in your life? You know, I've asked that question before in rooms full of people, and I just have people kind of raise their hand. And I'll tell you, it's just, it's like almost everybody in the room. There just seems to be something about going through hard times that if we'll let it, if we'll persevere, if we'll move through, it grows us, it matures us. It does exactly what James says in that verse that we just read. And, and, you know, would I choose to go through those tough times again? No, probably not. But, but now, looking back, and maybe it was six months ago, maybe it was six years ago, maybe it was 60 years ago, but look, looking back now, you can almost be glad that it happened. Because that tough thing, it shaped us into who we are today. How do you let Jesus overcome sorrow? In your life, you choose joy, you choose prayer, you choose God's promises, you choose to persevere. Let that hard thing grow you up. And then finally, um, choose an eternal perspective. Look at verse uh, 21 here. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. What, what does that mean? For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. See, Paul's saying, if I survive, if I live, even in this prison, well, then I'm going to live for Jesus. I'm going to live for Christ and, and his mission. And if I die, well, then that's even better because I get to go be with Christ. He's saying live or die, either way, I can have joy because it's about Jesus. I love what he says later on in chapter four. Uh, he, he says this, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. 
I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. He says, I can do all of this through him who gives me strength. See, he's choosing an eternal perspective. This is one of the keys to having joy. Um, have you ever played that board game, Life? Uh, it was invented back in 1860 by Milton Bradley. It was, uh, for years, the most popular board game uh, in the United States. It's in the National Toy Hall of Fame. Uh, I didn't even know there was such a thing, but it is. And it's also in the Smithsonian uh, in Washington, D.C., that museum. And there's still there's still a modern version of life that you can go you know go to a store and buy today. You can still play the game today. But in the game of life, you know sometimes you get a good spin on the wheel. Sometimes you don't. Sometimes you make it into college, and sometimes you don't. Sometimes you buy a house, you make big uh, great business deals, and you make it to millionaire acres. Um, that's kind of the goal of the game, but sometimes you don't. You lose everything. So many different ways it can go in the game of life. And every time you play, it's always different. It's always different, except for one thing. Every game of life ends the same way. You pick up the board and all the pieces, and everything just goes back in the box. The money, the cars all of it, and, and you get back to what's real. You know, so many ways that my life and your life can go. Sometimes you'll land just the right job, and sometimes you won't. Sometimes you'll get the pay increase, but sometimes you won't. Sometimes your friends They'll support you, but sometimes they won't. Sometimes they'll let you down. Sometimes you'll get an all clear from the doctor, but sometimes you won't. But guess what happens at the end of our life? At the end of every one of our lives, um, in a sense, it, it all goes back in the box. We all, as morbidly as this sounds, I mean, we all end up in a box. So choose an eternal perspective. For me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. In other words, you know, the end of the game for all of God's kids is, is good. The best is truly yet to come. We can have joy regardless of our circumstances because we know that everything this side of heaven, it just doesn't even compare to what's coming. So hey guys, let's keep praying together every day at 242. Let's stay relentlessly positive. I love you, we will get through this together, and I'll say it again, <laughs> the best is yet to come.